Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to this week's episode. This week is really exciting. We've got a special guest. We have got Dana Kate White from A Slob Comes Clean and podcast and many books and so I'm really excited to talk to her today. We're going to be chatting about all things to do with decluttering when it's not a natural thing for you to do Uh, and I won't keep doing any more ands because once we get talking you'll you'll know so welcome Dana thank you very much for joining us thanks for having me on I apologize for my voice allergies where I live are terrible right Um, now and um, they take my voice out it's that time of the year for you about every other year yeah Yeah, it is that's all right um I wouldn't Phoebe from friends she'd call it her sexy voice so I am not in that point yet like I'm still in the like wow that sounds painful when she says anything yeah (laughs) but yes coming soon will be the sexy voice for sure (laughs) um so Dana you have a podcast called a slob comes clean and one of the Mm -hmm. main reasons I asked well well, I suggested to Ty that we have you on as a guest is because um I I have ADHD and I am a member of a few groups on Facebook around um ADHD And whenever anyone in those groups talks about, I don't know how to manage my home, I don't know what to do, I can't do this, it's not natural to me, I'm overwhelmed, I'm struggling, you know, what are some resources that I can go to? There are always several, several recommendations for your podcast and for your books. And so I, and given the fact that I specialize in neurodiversities and complex cases in my work, um, I took particular interest in, in your work as well. And so I wanted to get you on because I think that there, we will have listeners obviously as well who just think, I just, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm overwhelmed and this doesn't come naturally to me. Um, how can I do this when it doesn't come naturally? And we do talk about this on the podcast a lot and given my propensity to be messy and, um, you know, I also am a slob who's sort of come clean. <laughs> um, I, I understand all of that, but I thought having you on, like you just seem to be able to nail it as far as explaining things in a way that people can understand. So after all that ramble, can you just give our listeners a little bit of your background? How did you start? When did you become the expert on this kind of stuff? Well, it was never my intention to teach people about this <laughs> stuff. Like if you would have told me 15 years ago that I would be writing books about, I mean, I was I wanted to write books. Like that's the whole reason I started. But if you would have told me that the thing I would be writing about or teaching would be you know, cleaning, organizing, decluttering, I would have, I would have just thought you were completely out of your mind because (laughs) this is the thing that I have struggled with my entire life that I would never, ever teach. I mean, I, I, I enjoy, like, I have a background as a teacher. I was a theater arts teacher. I wanted to be a writer. And so that's where, that's my thing. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do, but this is the one thing I would never have, have taught or written about. So I started a blog because I wanted to be a writer, but I had put off starting the blog that I wanted to write because I thought I've got to get my house under control before I throw myself into that project because I know myself, I throw myself into projects and I let my house go. And I was like, I got to get this house thing figured out first. And so 
in 2009, I start I as a compromise. I thought, well, I'll just do this practice blog. I did it anonymously. I didn't tell anybody I knew that I was doing this. I thought, I'll, I'll write about getting my house under control just as a way to learn about blogging, kind of, you know, figure things out and get my house under control. And then I'll start writing about the things I actually want to write about. Um, here we are. It's like 13 years later, which is crazy. And I mean, this is this is the thing because what I learned was, first of all, I learned what to do. Like I, I learned how to get my house under control. I learned that clutter was the biggest problem that I had. I learned how to work through my clutter. Um, but I also learned there were a lot of people out there just like me who felt like I'm competent in other areas of my life. And so why is this thing something that makes me feel incompetent? It makes me feel dumb because I'm like, wait a minute, this seems to be every easy for everyone else in the whole world, which isn't true, but that's the way it feels. This seems to be easy for everyone else. I can do other things. And yet this thing, you know, just had me completely bum fuzzled. So eventually, you know, I, I started writing books and because that's what I wanted to do all along. I wanted to be a writer. And I was like, okay, this is the thing that while I always thought that the reason I would never write about this was that most people would, you know, they just want to know how to have a perfect house and I'll never be able to tell them that. I realized there's a lot of value in me teaching from this perspective of this is not natural to me. This is what I have to do to break through that feeling of being overwhelmed and stuck. Um, and you know, that, that was something that wasn't, it, it just wasn't, most organizing advice is written by organized people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the reality. So their brains work very differently than mine. And I was like, but I have a starting point that I feel like most people who write about this stuff don't even realize people are actually starting from, yeah. you know? So I'm like, how do I get from where I actually am to this point that other people a consider starting a starting point, point yeah. you know? Yeah. Right. And that's where I come in. So. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And this is the thing there, and there is that gap there. And that's something that I, you know, realized, I mean, I've, I've, I'm the same as you. I'm not like, I'm not naturally organized. The idea that there is that, um, that gap of knowledge there that people aren't being taught by the, the mainstreamy kind of stuff. And the fact that now you have come out and, and there's a couple of others. I know you've probably heard of Fly Lady. Fly Lady was also really good for me in that, in those early days. Um, and if you had existed, you would have been brilliant for me in those early days too. But now that we're getting more and more, it's really helping those people that it just doesn't come naturally to. And for those people that are born organized, they don't get it. They don't, they don't even understand, you know, why my mother-in-law said to me when I first started being a, a business and organizer, she said, sweetheart, why would you do something that you have absolutely no experience in? <laughs> and she was right. I didn't have it, but I did have experience. I didn't, I wasn't organized, but I had this lived experience of knowing what it's like to not be organized. Mm -hmm. And then she said to me, and do people pay for that? You know, and so she just had no idea that people even needed a, a service because she had no right. idea that, that people existed that couldn't just pull up their socks and get on with it, you know, stop being lazy and just do it. Right. Um, and so that's where a lot of this perspective comes from is just, you know, get on with it. There's a lot of ableist um, perspectives out there around, you know, getting organised. So very grateful for you. Um, so Thank you. what is it that what's the first thing you learned, do you think, that, tipped the tables a little bit for you on, oh, okay, I can do this. You know, honestly, it was the power of doing small amounts every day. I, 
When I started, I was like, you know what? I have no idea, but I know that whenever I say I'm going to clean my house, I start in my kitchen. And my kitchen takes hours because I'm excavating, you know, catching up on all this. I'm just going to try to keep my dishes done because I know there are people in this world who if you show up at their house, their kitchen is not a total disaster. I don't know how they do it, but I'm just going to start trying to do my, like I started literally was thinking of the smallest thing I could possibly do. And it transformed everything because of that whole thing of when I would start to clean my house, I would start in the kitchen and I was catching up. So I used up all my energy and I was done and I never made it to the rest of the house. And so I call it dishes math because I assumed that, okay, when I, you know, do the dishes after a week of not doing the dishes and it takes me six hours Obviously, that means that doing the dishes every day takes an hour. Who has an hour? I'm busy. I don't have an hour to do the dishes every single day. Like, And so I just assumed that's what people who were keeping their dishes done were doing. And then I started doing them and say, I don't know. I'm just going to do the dishes. And I realized, oh, if I will do them every day, they take 15 or 20 minutes. And that it doesn't work like math is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. You know, one day's worth of dishes is 15, 20, 20 minutes, but two days worth of dishes is not twice that. It's at least an hour because I'm having to shift things around and move mm-hmm. them. I can't fit it all in one sink or dishwasher. And, you know, so, I, and then three days worth of dishes is hours. And so it's like, okay, if I will do this every day, that's when it's not a big deal. But if I let it go, then it's a huge deal. And so that power of daily stuff in the beginning, I would add a, I, w- I would solve a problem, you know, try to try to tackle something that was driving me crazy um, each week, you know, in the beginning. And so I, I boiled it down to, if I will do these things every day, my house will stay under control. And it made no sense to me because I'd always thought, well, that's maintenance stuff. And it doesn't make any sense to maintain the state of my home the way that it is. I need to get it clean from top to bottom. And then it makes sense to maintain. Where in reality, it was the maintenance, the lack of any of those small things every single day, or even almost every day that was making my house be a disaster. You know, so it that's where the power is. Like even before you get the whole thing perfect, focus on those daily maintenance type tasks. And, you know, that was really powerful. And the other thing was clutter. Yeah, I would focus on, you know, working on habits. And then I was like, I know I have too much stuff. I'm just going to declutter. And I didn't know the power of getting stuff out of my house, like how that was going to make it easy to keep my house under control once I hit what I call my clutter threshold, which is the amount of stuff that I personally could keep under control easily. So, you know, my mom can keep a lot of stuff. She has a very high clutter threshold. She can keep it under control. So I inherited this belief that I should also have a lot of stuff. I should, keep, you know, go ahead and collect things for the future. But I don't have the ability to keep it under control. So realizing, okay, it's not that I need to get organized. It's not that I need to be different than I am. I just need to declutter my home to the point where the way that I am actually works with that amount of stuff. Mm. I've had people say that um, I was describing to an audience once the the idea that sometimes we're just never going to be that person who can have 
the same kind of home as someone else and it easily, you know. And I said sometimes we are just those people who half do things and who procrastinate or who get overwhelmed and um, or who are just busy and who prefer to spend time doing fun things. Anyway, this woman put up her hand once and she said, okay, so what if I am that person? Do I, Am I then subjected to a life of torture and being miserable and, you know, all of that? And I said, no, you just need less stuff. You know, the, the more yes. tendencies you have to chaos – the, the more benefit you have to less stuff. And so you've just described that really well there in that, um, yes. you know, if, if you're, if you're finding that you can't manage the volume that you have, then less can actually, it can tip you to the point where you go, Oh, hey, actually, I can do this. I, I can manage this. And it doesn't have to be a minimalist. Um, it just has to, and the number is different for everyone. You know, your number's different to my number yes. is different to Tara's number is different to somebody else's. And once you figure out that number, and I guess probably that is, one of the questions that people might have is, how do I know my number? How do I know how much stuff is right for me? You can't predict it. Like there's not a test to take. There's not a, you know, a quiz that's going to say, this is your clutter threshold. You find your clutter threshold by decluttering. If your house feels hard, get rid of stuff. If it still feels hard, keep getting rid of stuff. At some point, you're going to look around and go, oh, wait, my house is staying under control without it being this big, difficult, dramatic thing. And at that point, that's when you've hit your clutter threshold. And then you can know, okay, uh, now I'm at this point. So I need to be like super cautious about if things come in, things need to leave, which is a thing always. But But that's how you maintain that clutter threshold. That's how you stay under that. And then anytime I start to feel overwhelmed in my home, I go, you know what? I think I've Either my clutter threshold is lower right now because I've got a lot of stuff going on or I've been collecting stuff and not realizing it and it's time to get rid of stuff again. And so you would look and say, okay, do I need to declutter my schedule? Do I need to declutter the amount of things I'm committing myself to so that I can maintain my space? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to declutter some stuff um, because it's the stuff that's actually causing me to now get, you know, a little bit overwhelmed. But, yeah, that and that's I think that that is the idea is if you can look at your home and say, yeah, I've got this, you know, like there's still stuff around and, you know, it's still life is happening. There's still stuff all over the kitchen counter because day to day that's what happens. But when I look at it, I don't go, oh, my God, the weight of that is just too much to bear. Then you've probably reached a point where, you know, you've got the right volume of stuff and and the right amount of commitments on your calendar um, as well. Right. And the way that the, the tangible way is, you know, a five-minute pickup, That the power of that, that was literally the smallest amount of time that I could justify doing a daily pickup was five minutes. And it's amazing the the power of that. And, you know, if you need something definite to help you to see if you're at your clutter threshold, can you get this space back under control in five minutes? And if you can or get your whole house back under control in five minutes with multiple people working on it then that's when you can know, okay, this is manageable. It's not that everything is always perfect. It's that I, it's not a big, huge deal to get it back under control. Yeah, and I think the control is the issue. I get a lot of people who sort of have this expectation that their house, you know, once they get decluttered and organized, that their house is going to be perfect. And, uh, you know, I do like to remind them that that's actually not what you should be aiming for because perfection is a, you know, it's a fallacy yeah. or it's, it's a fantasy. Um, and what you really need to be aiming for is to be in control and to be able to look at, you know, whatever space yes. it is and go, oh, okay, I feel like I have this, I've got this. And you're right, you know, you yeah. can you get to a point where maybe the whole house you think, okay, yeah, I've got that. But then little spots will pop up. 
you know, like under the bed might start to become an issue for you. And that's when you go, you know what, under the bed needs, you know, a little bit of work now because I'm overwhelmed by that space, even though the rest of it's, it's okay. Um, one of the things that my, my clients often struggle with is the cleaning up when there's some kind of emergency. So they have like a, an upcoming visit or they have a, a, a tenancy inspection or they have, you know, one of those things that's happening or, or even just Christmas is coming or a birthday party is coming up and there's a whole lot of people coming over to the house. Do you have any particular strategies that work well for the, the quick cleanup? I do. So <clears throat> that was my specialty back in the day. Oh, you know? I thought it might have been. Um, that's what, maybe that's why it was in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that was my specialty when my house was a disaster. I was like, yeah, I could have people over. I just needed two weeks to get ready. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, yes, I have a strategy. It gets easier and easier and easier the more I keep up with daily stuff and clutter. But as you know, as far as that, the, the main key is to identify what are the spaces that are visible, like that are going to be used in this event, this party, whatever, and stay focused on those areas. I mean, that's generally my prioritization rule anyway in my home is prioritize according to visibility because when you're overwhelmed, there is this tendency to go tackle some random shelf in a back closet instead of actually the thing that people are going to see, you know, so staying on track with that. Um, yeah, I have a series of videos on YouTube, 14 days to opening your front door to guests where okay. I talk you through, you know, my process, but it's basically that it's like keeping on track and, and really never letting go of sight of what is it that my guests are actually going to see? What is it that they are going to, um, you know, what is it that we need here so that I don't get off track there? Yeah. Okay. Um, Oh, I had a question and I just left my head. <laughs> it's the, my ADHD. Um, do you have an ADHD diagnosis or a neurodiversity? Um, this is off the record. I have I'm been diagnosed by – no, it's fine. You can – I mean, I have been diagnosed by thousands of people on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, I mean, on a very regular <laughs> – Because, you know, for someone who understands yeah. the needs of someone who is neurodiverse yeah. – um, sometimes you have the expectation that perhaps that person is as well. Um, and it's sort of one yeah. of those things that uh, I often, you know, I'm drawn to people who meet my needs um, and I often expect them to also have the same diagnosis perhaps as, as what I have. I'm, I assume, I, I feel like if I wanted to be diagnosed, I could be. Mm. Um, and, I, it, you know, it's honestly, it's kind of a touchy subject sometimes because there are some people who are very angry that I have not, gone to get diagnosed really? because yeah, it's, and there's a few of them. Oh. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think it's because they say, no, you need to be the poster child for ADHD, mm -hmm. you know, because my strategies do work really well for ADHD, um, for those, you know, with ADHD. And so I, I understand what they're saying, but I also am like, you know, I was an educator and, um, you know, you define a um, learning difference, whatever, according to how it affects you in school. And I was fine in school. You know, I mean, I I had messy locker, messy backpack, but I made it, you know, and I, I did fine. I did well in school. And so, um, you know, and yet we have <coughs> personal experience with those who get to a point where 
now the ADHD is affecting things and then it needs to be, you know, specifically dealt with. And so I'm like, I, I, I get maybe why they say that, but at the same time, um, I, there, these strategies work because they're just boiled down. You know, that's, that's what I'm good at is teaching yeah, and boiling things down. Lot, yeah. And yeah, so it worked. They are guaranteed to work for everyone. I'm very happy that it works for those with ADHD because I probably do have that tendency. Someone emailed me recently and I kind of liked the way that she put it. She said, you know, I said, I have ADHD. And she said, I feel like you have the tendencies, but she felt like she couldn't have with her ADHD, she couldn't have put it into the words the way that I did. So she was like, I like that you have the tendencies, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense yeah. or not. But well, look, um, it does to me. And and that's the thing. Yeah. There are there are symptoms of conditions that you can have symptoms of things without actually having the condition. Yes. Uh, and that's I think that that's um, probably, you know, if you don't have um, ADHD, you have enough of the you have symptoms that enough symptoms that you have the same some of the same needs as people with ADHD yes. and then you have the skills to explain those and so that's where that it, what's made it so good for made your system so good for neurodiverse people is um, that it works and and this is the thing you don't have to have it and you don't even need to have a diagnosis to be able to say I know what works for ADHD and I and, and you know and I, this is this is what I do and if it works you know and it's the same like some of the symptoms are the same symptoms for autism as well you know the overwhelm and the avoidance you know a lot of those are autistic and that doesn't mean that you're autistic you know and it doesn't mean that you have to be the poster child right. for autism either so I think that um, maybe you know it would be good if people minded their own business but it would be good if um, <laughs> I just I really get annoyed at people who decide that somebody else needs to do something for their own good, you know? Um, I don't mind. I don't mind people diagnosing me. That doesn't bother me at all. And sometimes people will be like, I'm so sorry. I just feel like, you know, but it does bother me when they get upset that I haven't been diagnosed. I'm like, you know what? It, that, that's the part, but, but I, I forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. You got my disease. (laughs) I know. Right. Um, Right. I, and I, I do feel extremely confident saying, yes, these strategies work for those with ADHD because I hear from people with ADHD on a multiple times a week basis mm-hmm. saying, I have ADHD and or anxiety. This is what has worked for me and nothing else ever has. Mm-hmm. And they will tell me why. You know, I did a, I did a survey once, you know, saying, you know, have you been diagnosed with ADHD and what are the strategies that work? And like, I mean, it was just the ones that people picked as the strategies that were the biggest um, help for them. I mean, it was just very consistent. It was, it was like, there isn't just a, oh yeah, a little bit here, a little bit there. No, it was like, this works for those who have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, and, and this is why, like I said to you, when anyone in my community asks, your your podcast and your books get recommended. And so it's, it is um, it is very true that, that they do work. Uh, and yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to have the diagnosis and um, to, in order to produce something that works, you know, for someone. I think it's quite yeah. interesting that yeah. people get offended by your personal choices. Um, you know, oh, it's really interesting. Yeah. So you have three books, is that right? I, did I count three or did yes. I miss one? Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And so those three. books are designed um, for people who aren't naturally organised to take control of their homes, is that correct? Yes. So what yes. Um, what strategies do you have in those books? Is it kind of like, you know how you said you had your, your YouTube series of 14 days to 
you know, opening the door. Yeah. Do your books kind of follow that kind of thing as well? Well, so the first one that I wrote uh, came out in 2016. It it's called How to Manage Your Home Without Losing Your Mind. And in that, I basically went from, you know, I, I basically taught what you need to know and what you need to do and how to think about it and how to break through all of your reasons why you don't want to do it this way, you know, which is me. I had all these reasons why I had thought ahead and figured out what wouldn't, wouldn't work, you know. Um basically how to go from completely overwhelmed. So I focus on habits a lot in that one. I talk about, uh, I do talk about decluttering and then decluttering at the speed of life just really drills down into decluttering. And in that one, I have um, a five-step decluttering process that I teach in there. And then I apply that, that process to the different areas in your home. And then also using that process to work through helping someone else work through clutter, whether it be uh, your spouse, your kids, uh, your older relatives, a friend. Um, So, you know, using that. And then I talk really deep into grief in there and just, you know, the reality of, of how hard that is with clutter. Um, and then organizing for the rest of us is called, it's it's what's categorized as a gift book, um, which some people are like, I'm going to give someone a gift book about clutter, mm-hmm. but okay. <laughs> um, so the publisher had come to me and said, hey, do you want to do this? And what what makes it a gift book is that it has pictures, like it has color pictures in it. That's just a category of books. Right. And so um, it's really like the cliff notes. I don't know. Do you all have those in Australia? But um, yeah. it's the... Um, the summary, you know, it's, it's, it's everything in strategy format. So like, yeah, bite-sized things with pictures that show you, this is the five-step decluttering process. And here is, here are the pictures of look how it gets better with each step that you do, you know, and that kind of thing. I haven't read that. Um, So it, I, I, yeah, it's flip throughable is what I call it. And I, I love hearing from people who just randomly kind of set it in the bathroom and then their family members come out talking about the container concept. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're <laughs> like, it's that. making a difference. Yeah, I have to talk to you about the we'll get to the yeah. container concept. That's definitely on my list of things to yeah. ask about. But I want to go back to the grief thing because that mm-hmm. is a really interesting concept. It's something that I think a lot of people have grief as an influence over the way they manage their belongings without actually knowing it. Mm-hmm. So is that is that why you made it such a big part of the book? I did. So I had answered a question in a podcast um, from someone who was um, trying to decide about what to do about her maternity clothes when she was experiencing secondary infertility mm-hmm. and was realizing, I think this is never going to happen. And she was like, what do I do? And so I just kind of talked through that. And then I'm sure as you experience here on the podcast, there are just sometimes you touch on a subject and it's like everybody says, yes, this, this is the thing, you know? So, you know, we, we just talked about basically the reality of, of grief. I believe I'm not a mental health professional. However, I believe that clutter is the physical manifestation of the denial stage of grief, meaning I can leave something in a box or a corner or a pile and as long as it's in the box or the corner or the pile and I'm not touching it and looking through it, I don't actually have to feel those feelings. Mm-hmm. I can live in denial. But if I'm going to touch those things, if I'm going to look at it, I'm going to have to feel the feelings. And so 
yes, physical clutter is the physical manifestation of the denial stage of grief. And yet there's an opportunity there in that going through the clutter, which I recommend that people go through it with no commitment, you know, like don't wear mascara (laughs) and just go through it and say, I'm going to look through this with, without committing to get rid of anything today. I'm just going to look through it. I'm going to experience the feelings because once you do that, that stuff looks different to you. And generally you're going to find out that this box that I thought was full of highly emotional stuff had maybe two or three emotional things in it. And then there was other stuff in there that I was like, wait, of course I can just throw this in the trash. You know, I mean like, so, but, but what happens is after you go through it with no commitment, with no demands on yourself, your brain starts to adjust and be ready for when you actually go through it. Like that first time you look at it and you feel those feelings, your brain adjusts and you're ready when it is time to tackle it. It's like a primer. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's just something about the unknown versus the known. You know, as long as it's in a box, it's the unknown and it feels like it's all. There's probably something in there that is going to trigger me in, you know, something really, really awful. And it may. Mm. But once you've looked in the box, you do know you know, and so then you're ready for it the next time, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you can plan accordingly, anyway. you know, you can you can decide I'm not ready for that box and I will focus on another area. But until you've done that initial prime, you know, you, you're not going to know whether or not you're yes. ready for that box or not. Exactly. And I think too with that is the acknowledgement that there is grief in things other than a death. You know, sometimes we think, okay, grieving only happens in that. No, grieving happens when you realize that um, the childhood dream or the young adult dream that you had, oh, wait, my life has not gone that way. I'm now realizing that is never going to happen. That's a grieving process. And acknowledging that and realizing what that clutter is in that grieving process um, is is huge. It'll get you going Mm. uh, as far as like help you start to make that, that progress, not like get you going. Oh, it's easy now. I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I am saying, you know, it, it'll help you get started. Get into gear at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think yeah, it's a good point because that we've talked about this before as well in, in when we talk about aspirational clutter in that, you know, these ideas mm-hmm. and these hopes and these dreams that you had, and they can be something that's just small, but it, it will trigger a negative feeling. And that negative feeling will be of, you know, um, some disappointment in yourself, um, some so a sense of, of loss or a sense of missed potential or just or shame, you know, shame. There's a lot of shame, so much shame yes. in these boxes. And, you know, the idea that by processing this and going through it and looking at it from that perspective of grief um, or perspective of loss can, can offer you, if you give yourself some forgiveness, you know, some kind of give yourself a little bit of, gentleness there and say you know yes it might seem silly from your logical perspective but by going through that and here's an example of what I did recently is I I had was to I polymer clay as a craft for a long time and I just sort of um, went through a stage where I made lots of you know lovely little things and had good fun with it and and I was in, in the process of also doing a face 
and I and ears, you know, ears are really hard to sculpt. <laughs> and I was sculpting a face. Oh, and um and I had you no know, I did one ear and then when I turned him over to do the other ear, I squished the first ear. So then I had to do go back and do the other ear again. And so I had, you know, and I had this little head sitting in there and I had all this polymer clay and I realized recently um that it had been sitting in the cupboard untouched for over three years. And I had in my head that I still do polymer clay, but I clearly didn't do it anymore. And one of the things that I, and it was relatively easy for me, I'm not, I don't have too much of a sentimental attachment to these things. I can let go. I've trained myself to do that. But even I still had, when I looked at this sculpture of this head that I had spent all this time on, I still grieved the fact that I hadn't finished it and that I won't. And so I took a photo of it and then I, you know, and I, I ended up donating it to, um, a, a lady who does um, group um, craft work with um, victims of sexual abuse and they make angel dolls. Oh, wow. yeah. So I ended up, you know, so it went somewhere where it's going to be, you know, used and loved. But I did grieve that whole I didn't finish this and that makes me a failure and I failed in this yeah. sense. And so that is another form of grief as well is this idea that I haven't been what I wanted to be. Um, or I'm not going to be what I wanted to be. And that kindness to yourself, I think, is really important. It is. You know, I, it was making me think about one thing for me was um, baking stuff. I had collected so much baking stuff in my kitchen as, because I pictured myself being a mom who baked. Mm. Well, I turned out to not be a mom who bakes, you know, because I'm also... <laughs> I'm also a mom who needs to not be eating baked goods all the time. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's like that. And it was like, wait a minute, this is what I thought. So then getting rid of these baking things that I hadn't used in years felt like I was admitting that I'd failed. And I'm like, mm. no, I, I turned into a different kind of mom. And I like the kind of mom that I am. But I had collected all these things in the past for all these ideas of who I was going to be in the future. And then that time came and went. And, you know, sometimes letting go of stuff was admitting, oh, wait, that never happened. That time has passed. Mm, yeah. And you do. And some people will grieve that and some will just be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me. But it's okay right. to grieve that and it's okay to, pro- yes. you know, and it's good to process it and healthy to process. Um, I really like the um, the gentleness of, not that, I can't know the word, that the, the self-compassion of looking at something and saying this is grief and you need to be easy on yourself instead of this is avoidance, this is laziness, this is whatever, this is just you being messy yes. and lazy. It's yes. not. It's you grieving and that gentleness can actually help you process it quite well too. Well, and I think when you feel either from yourself or from other people this is laziness. Why, why is this, you know, and you know, in your heart, it's not laziness. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not laziness. It just makes you think, well, then they don't understand me. I'm just going to hold on to it because they just don't get it. But when we can acknowledge that it's grief, then it's, it's easier to let go. And I I do want to say with the ADHD thing, um, we tend to be very creative type people, which is Mm. what the world needs. I mean, you know, there need to be those of us who think differently, and that creative idea is it, it lends to a lot of collecting mm. for things that interest me, whether I actually act on those things or not. And so sometimes that acknowledging that grief, it does get easier. Like when I get rid of something and I think I felt a lot of grief over this thing that actually I never even really cared about. I just thought at one random point in the past that, you know, and it's like, okay, it's not a failure. I'm just going to get rid of it. 
And then it, it gets easier and easier and easier as you mm. go. I had one client that said to me, you know, she sat across the table from me and she, she was we were talking about um, all of her, her stuff and she just started crying and, and she said, I just... I just wish I could be like everybody else. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, everybody else has found their thing. They've all got their thing that they're good at. And I've never found my thing that I'm good at. And I have tried everything. And the state, you know, her house, the the, the fullness of her house and her craft room was testament to all of the different things that she had tried. And she was craving this identity of somebody who, something to attach to her identity of, like, this is the thing I'm good at. This is my thing. And I said to her, I said, I think actually that I've found your thing for you. And she looked at me, she's like, how could you possibly have found my thing? And I said, your thing is trying new things. And, and I said, and that's awesome. I said, you are an experimenter and you're trying things and you, you like new things. And your thing is, is, is trying everything and, um, and getting some joy out of it and then moving on to the next thing. And she looked at me and she said, that's true. You know, I have, she said, but shouldn't I just pick one? And I said, why? What's the rule that says we just have to pick one thing that we're good at and that one thing we're going to be ever? You know, if you pick quilting, you know, you don't have to be a quilter for the rest of your life. You can be a quilter for a few years, enjoy that. And then you can, turn into a crochet or a knitter you know you don't have to be that that thing all the time and um when I said to her but we do need to look at the things you've kept <laughs> from those phases and make sure that they're not getting in the way of all of the new things that you, you might want to try um and just that little shift in perspective because right, there's no room mm. right there's no room to try the new things mm. when you've got you know all that that stuff so I mean like for me I <laughs> my husband when I you know when I first started this blog and when he did eventually did find out about it and he was just so excited and his main concern was that he couldn't tell anybody about it because I was so embarrassed you know that I was writing about this and he was like but I want to tell people I'm so proud of you and I was like how do you how are you not embarrassed that I'm sharing actual pictures of our messes on the internet and he was just like he was I'm just so excited for you that you've found something that you're really, really doing. He's like, you've always had so many great ideas and you've always tried so th- so many things, but this is the thing that you're really doing. And I'm like, and as I did that, the more I, you know, I tried things, I focused and then letting go of stuff gave me more and more room to be able to do the thing that I wanted to do. That's like what I tell people now. I'm like, mm-hmm. my goal is not to have the be- most beautiful house in the world because that's just not my thing. But my goal is have a house that I can handle so I can do these other things that I want to do. And part of it being able, being a house I can handle is not having as much stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I think um, it's okay to, it's okay to be interested in everything. It's okay to want to do new mm-hmm. things and to, to do all that. Uh, but there is a balance there that's needed. Um, and, you know, yeah. you, you can't reach for a, an, you know, another orange when your hands hands are full of oranges. So that, yeah. that letting go sort of, you know, enables that. And it's okay to want to do all of the things. You just can't do them all at once. Um, and it's just mm-hmm. coming to that realisation, right. I think. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about the container thing. Now, Tara and I talk about <coughs> boundaries all the time. We use the word boundaries um, and it's the same mm-hmm. kind of concept. But when I see you explaining it, I think that makes my explanations of our boundary, the boundary concept, completely muddling. And you you just put it so well. So I want you to describe, if you can, to everybody, the container concept and how um, it can actually help you with everything. Yeah. I, I mean, the container concept changes everything. And it's one of those things where if you had told me that I didn't know what containers were for, I would have been very offended because I would have <laughs> been like, I'm 
an educated person. Of course, I know what containers are for, but I didn't. I thought containers were for putting things in. And so I would look at someone else's house and I would think, okay, that's what I want my craft area to look like. Mine is a jumbled mess. Hers is beautiful. What's the difference? She has a red bucket. And I was like, okay, the red bucket, that's, that, that would be the solution to my problems if I just get a red bucket. So I bring the red bucket home. I go to put my crayons in the red bucket and it's full after 300 crayons and I still have 700 crayons left. And I thought that the answer to this problem was to go buy two more red buckets. And I didn't under, that's because I thought containers were for putting things in. I'm like, well, if I have more stuff than the container, then I just need another container. Mm. But at the same time, I was like, why does this not work for me the way that it works for her? And so I would then go to put my three red buckets of crayons up on the shelf and they wouldn't fit on the shelf. And I would think, oh my word, why is this so hard? I am doomed to be disorganized. I'm like, okay. I need another shelf. And so I would buy more shelves. Well, eventually I didn't have enough room for any more shelves. And so I thought, well, I need a bigger house. And I thought, well, I, we can't afford a bigger house. So obviously there is no hope for me because this just doesn't work for me the way that it does for her. Even though her house was significantly smaller than mine and her stuff looked beautiful and organized and didn't, it wasn't minimalist or anything, but it was beautiful. And I was like, I didn't understand what was the difference. Well, the difference was that without even really realizing it, she was using her container as a limit. So it hit me one day when I was decluttering, I was talking to myself and I was like, container, container, oh, contain, like firefighters contain a fire. They create a boundary. And as long as things stay inside, the fire stays inside that boundary then they can keep it under control. But if it goes outside that boundary, then bad things happen. And so it helped me realize that the purpose of a container is not to hold things. It is to provide a limit. And when I saw it that way, it literally changed my whole house because I started to realize if I have a thousand crayons and I have a red bucket, all I have to do is put my favorite ones in first. And that's fun, right? Like it's fun to just choose your favorite ones, put them in there. And then when that bucket is full, that's the limit to how many I can keep. And something about being able to blame the container just released my, my brain to be okay with it. And it helped me see, wait a minute, I actually don't need a thousand crayons. Oh, but it wasn't me assessing each crayon because I used to pick up a crayon and say, does this crayon have value? Well, of course it does. Broken crayons still color. We know that, right? You know, so I was like, if I was asking myself, is there value in this item as someone who's super creative, as someone who tries to be resourceful and can think of all these ways to use something in the future, I can come up with a reason to keep anything. Mm. So as long as I was doing that, it was really hard to declutter. But when I said, this is the space that I have, I'm going to let the space make those decisions, put my favorites in first, anything that doesn't fit has to go then it just took that pressure off and I realized, oh, okay. Not only is the red bucket a container, but the shelf that the bucket goes on is a container as well. Okay, so if I try to fit, fit more buckets on that shelf, then will actually, you know, fit and still be able to be usable, then that shelf has no hope of being under control. 
Like it can't be under control if I'm trying to put more stuff on there than will fit. And so the shelf is a container. The size of the room, <coughs> excuse me, the size of the room is a container. Uh, you know, I can't fit more shelves in there than it can physically hold. And my entire house is a container. The size of my house is the size of my house. And if I'm putting my favorite things in first, my favorite things are the people who live in it. Like we deserve the space first. So we need to be able to move around, do the things that we need to do, use the kitchen table for eating instead of having to move a bunch of stuff off of it first before we can eat. You know, like that is, that's embracing the reality of the space that I have. And that was the thing that made me realize, oh, actually my house is a great size. Like it, when I, my house stopped feeling too small when I just embraced the reality of the space. And it strangely takes so much pressure off because I'm not the one making these hard decisions. I'm letting the container, the size of the space, make that decision for me. Yeah. And so then any, any of those arguments that pop up in our heads all the time, they can't argue against the container. They don't have... They don't have a right. say, you know, all of that, but I spent a lot of money on it. doesn't matter. It doesn't fit in the container. The container says that doesn't matter how much you spent on it. Well, it doesn't fit. Exactly. And I always say you can keep anything. You just can't keep everything. Mm -hmm. So if there is something that I say, oh, but I spent a bunch of money. Oh, but I love this. Great. Then Make it one put it the in the container. Things. But Yeah. Put it in first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you what what can leave this space in order to create the space for the thing that I want to keep? And then that shifts something in my brain often and helps me realize, you know, either, oh, okay, <clears throat> I really want to keep this item because it's very meaningful to me. So what in here deserves space less than this item? Oh, okay, I can pull that out. But many times I will realize, oh, actually, I actually use and need everything that's in this space and so there's just no room and it makes this item that I thought was so important to me look differently mm. because I realize I actually am never going to use this while I am going to use the things that are in the space. And so they deserve priority space. Mm. Yeah. Um, you see, you explain that so well. I, you know, <laughs> I just like we, we bang on about boundaries all the time and then you just come in and just swoop in and go say it like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I take have taken 200 episodes to, to try and say. And well, but at the same time, I mean, when people ask me questions, they know that I, if it's anything about stuff, I generally start my answer with, well, it all comes down to the container, container. concept because it really truly yeah. can solve every single decluttering decision yeah. that there is. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I could keep you on um, all day and I'm not going to, but I am going to wrap it up by saying to everybody that just what you heard from Dana then in that little piece, there are, there are 300 podcast episodes of that wisdom that you can listen to. So I highly recommend the slob comes clean. Um, can't say that too fast, can you? It gets a little bit tongue-tied. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, there's Dana's books as well. And we're going to put the link to Dana's website, which has everything on it in the show notes. So you will be able to check up and see. If you're not already a fan, it won't take long before you are because she just has a way with words and um yeah, and really appreciate you taking the time today. And I'm sorry about the time zone mix-up. I did an ADHD thing and <laughs> I got the timing wrong and poor Dana was confused, but we got there in the end. Um, so I appreciate it. We did it. it. Thank you. We got there. Thank you so much for having me on.
Um, you're welcome. And we can see um, everybody in our Facebook community group if you want to have a chat about any of the concepts we talked about today. And uh, we will see you all here again next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at rebeccamazino.com.au and basklifecoaching.com.